Good morning, everyone. Uh, let's just commit our time to the Lord. Our Father, we thank you for your precious word. We thank you, Lord, for the message that it has for us. Sometimes it's a message which challenges us. Sometimes it's a message which confronts us. Lord, we just want to learn what your word has to say to us. So we commit ourselves to you now in the precious name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Now back in January, we looked at the first three verses of the prophecy of Hosea. And I was scheduled within not too many weeks to bring you the second message. But then COVID and another health issue got in the way. And here we are now, halfway through the year. But never mind. Um, Just a little bit of a refreshment. First of all, to say that the prophecy of Hosea can be quite confronting. And I read one commentator who said, and I thought it was pretty good, he said, if you are shocked by what you hear in this book, that is just how God wants you to feel. When a woman commits herself to a man in marriage, she pledges to keep herself only for him. When it is God and his earthly people, the call to faithfulness is absolute. So what we will do first is we will just refresh our memory a little and go back and read some verses from Hosea chapter 1 and 3. First of all in chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea the son of Beri during the days of Uzziah, Joseph, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry, For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Dublin, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of of Israel. Very confronting words. Then in in verse 6, then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel that I would ever forgive them. And then in verse 8 and 9, when she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. 
And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. And what we will endeavour to do this morning is to look into the reasons why God came to this point with his earthly people. Now there's a lot of debate about the prophecy of Hosea and this issue of marrying an unfaithful woman and some have suggested that it's an allegory. But that's not right. This is a true account of a real man and a real woman in a real marriage. <clears throat> An allegory, on the other hand, is a story that can be interpreted to reveal a hidden meaning or lesson. But this is a true story. Now, the ten tribes were... There were 12 tribes of Israel. Uh, they were based in, the worship was based in Jerusalem. Uh, Judah was the, was the major tribe. The, the King David came from the tribe of Judah. After David died, there was King Solomon. When King Solomon died, his son Rehoboam became king. And Solomon had been quite strict and the people wanted to know whether Rehoboam was going to be as strict as his father. And after a bit of consultation and a bit of bad advice, he decided he was going to be worse. And the people, a portion of the people, said, we don't want that. And so they determined to separate themselves. So ten tribes separated away and just left Judah and Benjamin in, in Jerusalem and the other ten tribes went off and appointed themselves a king, Jeroboam, who had been a servant of Solomon. And so in the process of doing this, they were actually separating from God himself. And, Hos and God sent Hosea to be their prophet. And Hosea was to show through his prophecy the pain that God felt because of his wayward people. And the way God would do this would be to have Hosea take a wife who would become unfaithful and cause him a great deal of pain and heartache because that is exactly how God feels about his wayward people. So we go over the verse and so three children were born over a period probably something like 15 years that this painful situation that Hosea was in. And then at the beginning of chapter 3, God speaks to Hosea again. Then the Lord said to me, 
Go again, love a woman who is loved by her husband or her, one who is her partner now, yet an adulteress, even as the Lord loves the sons of Israel, though they turn to other gods and love raisin cakes. So I brought her for myself for 15 shekels of silver and a homer of barley. She had got herself into such a desperate state that she had to be brought back. And that's a picture that we will deal with on a future date when God brings his earthly people back. But in the meantime, God longs to bless but he must judge sin, and he must judge Israel's sin. <clears throat> Be sure that because he is holy, because he is holy, his wrath, the, indig the indignant, sorrowful wrath of holy love is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. And I love this. This description of God's wrath. God's wrath is not a fiery wrath. He doesn't get fired up the way we do and stamp our foot and slam the door and punch holes in the wall. He, his wrath is a sorrowful wrath. When his people fail to obey him, fail to serve him, turn against him, sin against him, he is hurt by that. He is sorrowful because of it. Because he has a holy, perfect love. <clears throat> now the book of Hosea is written in poetic form in the main. And what Hosea learns in suffering, he declares in song. So, God has a controversy with Israel. And we need to look at what caused that. And so to begin with, we'll look in 1 Kings chapter 12. I've got a marker here somewhere. First Kings chapter 12. This is just after the separation of the ten tribes away from Jerusalem and from Judah. <coughs> and this is their king, Jeroboam. So 1 Kings chapter 12, verse 27. If this people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem, then the heart of the people will return to their Lord, even to Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and return to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king consulted and made two golden calves. And he said to them, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, O Israel, that brought you up from the land of Egypt. He set one in Bethel,
It worked last time I pressed the button. We had this, ah, here we go. No? It was on. Yes. It was on. It's got to let me down. Okay. <coughs> the first one was in Bessel. They, they don't show up terribly well, but Bessel's right down. Whoops. Bessel's right, Bessel's right down here in the south. And he set up the other one at Dan, which is right up at the top, in the north, right up at the top. Now this thing became a sin for the people. This thing became a sin for the people went to worship before the one as far away as Dan. Here's Jerusalem down the bottom. And they are right up the top, as far away as they can get, to worship at Dan. And he made houses on high places and made priests from among all the people who were not of the sons of Levi. God had appointed a tribe to be the priests of Israel. But Jeroboam decided he was going to appoint his own priests and they weren't going to be from the tribe of Levi. So he was turning away from God. And Jeroboam instituted a feast in the eighth month, on the 15th day of the month, like the feast which is in, Ju in Judah. And he went up to the altar, thus he did to, in Bethel, sacrificing to the calves which he had made. And he stationed in Bethel the priests of the high places which he had made. So Jeroboam set to do his thing, to turn away from God altogether. And the interesting thing about the history of the nation of the ten tribes of Israel is that every single one of their kings it is recorded that they followed what Jeroboam had established. And they did evil in the eyes of the Lord as Jeroboam had done. Many of the kings of Judah were faithful to David and the scripture records that they walked in the ways of the Lord the way their father David had done. But as far as Israel, the ten tribes were concerned, every single king turned away from God. Ahab was probably one of the worst, but they all turned away from God. Now, what was, what had God said, to, what had God, to, had God said about this? If we go to Leviticus, Chapter 17, verses 8 and 9. Leviticus 17, verses 8 and 9. Now this is God speaking to Moses back in the days when they were getting all their instructions in the wilderness. Then you will say to them, then you will say to the people, any man from the house of Israel, this is from the whole house of Israel, not the ten tribes, but the whole house of Israel. From 
or from the aliens who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice and does not bring it to the doorway of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man also shall be cut off from his people. God had one place and one way to make sacrifices to him to, to, de to deal with their sin. But they decided they're going to go their own way. And God has already warned that to turn away from him is to be cut off from him. And not only did he make two golden calves and set up these false priests, he also set up a, a false feast. Once again, back in the days of Moses, three feasts had been set up. The un Passover and unleavened bread, tabernacles and first fruits, and, pass and Pentecost and in gathering. And for those three feasts, the men were to go to Jerusalem each year. Jeroboam decides that he's going to have his own feast. It's not going to be in the seventh month. It's going to be in the eighth month. It's the only feast they're going to have, and they're going to do it their own way. So in every single way that he could, it seemed that Jeroboam was determined, if that's God's way, this is my way. So what's God going to do about this? What's God going to do about this? Is this something that he's going to tolerate forever? <coughs> we can see from all of this that God has a controversy with Israel. He must do because everything that he wanted them to do, they've decided they're not going to do. And everything he's told them not to do is what, exactly what they want to do. So he's got to do something about it. So we carry on with the prophecy of Hosea and we look now at God dealing with his people. This is God who feels exactly the same way as Hosea did with his unfaithful wife. Now it's God and his unfaithful people. So Hosea chapter 4, verses 1 to 10. <clears throat> Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel. For the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, and adultery. They, will, they employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns and everyone who lives in it languishes along with the beasts of the field and the birds of the sky and also the fish of the sea disappear. Verse 4, yet... Let no one find fault and let none offer reproof for your people are like those who contend with the priests. So you will stumble by day and the prophet also will stumble with you by night and I will destroy your mother 
We'll come back to that. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I also will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. So I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat and not have enough. They will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. So this portion, these 10 verses, fall into four groups. First of all, verses 1 and 2 is the indictment from God. Verse 3 is the result of that. What's God going to do about it? Verses 4 to 6 is the people's reaction. And in verses 7 to 10, it deals with the inevitable ruin that will come to them. So verse, verse 1 and 2, Listen to the word of the Lord, O sons of Israel, for the Lord has a case against the inhabitants of the land, because there is no faithfulness or kindness or knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, deception, murder, stealing, adultery. They employ violence so that bloodshed follows bloodshed. Listen to the word of the Lord. God is calling his people to pay attention. It is an imperative call. It is a command to pay attention. When God speaks... We better listen because he has a case and he has a dispute, he has an accusation and we need to answer it. The situation was that their sin had made them faithless, heartless, godless, leading to cheating deceiving, theft, murder. They were totally unfaithful, leading to rampant violence and escalating bloodshed. The situation was going from bad to worse. God was calling them to pay attention. He was seeking to get their attention. And one of the ways he did it was by way of famine, and drought and marauding nations around them that would come in and attack them. And it says, the land, therefore the land mourns. The drought comes, God stops the rain, seeking to gain the attention of his people. The rain stops, the crops don't grow. There's no feed for the animals, so the animals die. There's no rain, so the rivers 
go down and dry up and the fish die. In Isaiah chapter 24 verses 5 and 6 we have a description of this. The earth is also polluted by its, by its inhabitants for they transgress laws, violate, violated statutes, broke the everlasting covenant, therefore a curse devours the earth and those who live in it are held guilty. God sought to gain the attention of his people. And the only way he could do it was to strike them where they live. But they still didn't respond. All creation suffers. When man suffers under God's judgment, all creation suffers. Deuteronomy 28 Going back again to the time in the wilderness. And Deuteronomy 28 is an interesting chapter. It's a very long chapter. It's got about 68 verses. The f we're not going to read it all. The first 14 verses deal with the blessings that will come to God's people if they're obedient. If they follow the Lord, if they're faithful to him, blessings will flow from that. And he will bless them. He promises, he commits to bless them. But then from verse 15, right through to the end of the chapter, it's headed up consequences of disobedience. God very thoroughly goes into the consequences of not being faithful to him. He is a loving God. He's a caring God. He wants to bless them. And the warning is way longer than the blessing because he wants them to pay heed to this warning and to make sure it doesn't happen to them. But we just want to pick two verses out of it to do with this issue of of the impact on the land. The heaven which is over your head shall be bronze, and the earth which is under you iron. Have you ever gone out after a month of drought and tried to put a shovel into the ground and it just goes boom? The earth under you iron. The Lord will make the rain of your land powder and dust from the heaven it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. That is the consequence. That is the result of God's judgment on them. So back to chapter 4 of Hosea. <coughs> So the reaction of the people, I suppose you could expect this. Their reaction, listen to what they say. 
Let no one find fault. Don't you find fault with me. I haven't done anything wrong. I'm a good person. I do the right thing. I keep the Ten Commandments, or some of them anyway. So leave me alone. I don't want your reproof. Just the same way that they argued the point with the priests, they took that same argumentative attitude to God and said, don't you tick us off? You get the same thing again in the book of Malachi. So they seek to justify themselves and they refuse to listen to any judgment. Verse 5. So you will, this is God speaking, so you will stumble by day and the prophet also will stumble with you by night. This is not the prophet Hosea, this is the false prophets. They always had false prophets. Prophets who told them what they wanted to hear. But they and their false prophets will stumble. And then God makes an awesome statement. And I will devour your mother. When I first read that I went, oh, how do I deal with this? What does this mean? And then I thought that they're in the promised land. They're in a land flowing with milk and honey. They've gone 40, 40 years through the wilderness to get to this land. It is their land. God has given it to them. It's their motherland. And God is saying, I gave this land to you. I'm going to take it away from you again. You won't walk in my way and honour my name. Therefore, I will destroy what I gave you. Verse 6. My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. It's lack of knowledge of God that causes people to sin. It causes people to turn away. Because, <coughs> and it's, they have rejected knowledge. This is the, this is the amazing thing. That it's not just a case of not knowing. It's a case of not wanting to know. And he, God says, I also will reject you from being my priest. What does he mean? Back in Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, God said to the nation of Israel, you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. God was going to have a nation, and in that nation there was going to be a kingdom of priests and those priests would bring worship to God and would deal with the need for the people to be righteous. 
But here we have a wayward people with false priests and God says no more. I will reject you from being my priest. Since you have forgotten the law of your God, I also will forget your children. And here was another disturbing statement. I will forget your children. Within our own group here, we have got our own offspring who have grown up through the church and have gone out into the world and have turned their back on God and are no longer walking with him. They know God, but they've chosen to turn away from him. They bear children that they don't take to church, they don't take to Sunday school, they don't tell them about the Bible. Those children know nothing about God. And so this is the thing that when a nation of people, when a group of people turn away from God, they suffer. But the real, the real casualty is their children. And I also, God says, I will forget your children. We forget him and he forgets us and our children are the real casualty. The verses 7 to 10 was their ruin. The more they multiplied, the more they sinned against me. I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. And it will be like people, like priests. And I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will play the harlot. That's turn away to false gods but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. Hello, Caleb. The more God prospered them, the more they sinned. Initially, the nation of Israel, the ten tribes of Israel enjoyed a time of prosperity. But it was, and it was God who prospered them. But the more he prospered them, the more they sinned until he had to do something about it. He brought them glory, he would bring them shame. And then we have in verse 8 this strange verse. They feed on the sin of my people and direct their desire toward their iniquity. These false priests were still practicing some of the requirements of the law. One of them was the, the 
the sacrifice of the sin offering. And they encouraged the people to bring their sacrifices, their sin offerings, because the law allowed the priests to... The priest's food was the carcasses of the sacrificial animals that, that made up the sin offering. But these priests, they enjoyed their food. They enjoyed a good feed. And so rather than discourage the people from sinning, they actually encouraged them. They highlighted their sin. They encouraged them to bring more and more and more sacrifices because that way they could feed on those sacrificial animals. And so they were exploiting the, what the law had been set up to do and they distorted it and turned it around and made it into something which was sensuous even. <coughs> So, and it will be like people, like priests, it says in verse 9. The people sin, the priests sin, the priests sin, the people sin. It's, it's one of those downward spirals that just gets worse and worse. So I will punish them for their ways. There's going... God is only going to take so much and then he is going to deal and he's going to repay them for their deeds. They will eat but not have enough. They will play the harlot but not increase because they have stopped giving heed to the Lord. They go to their pagan, their pagan gods and sacrifice to them and their pagan gods are supposed to provide them with the, with the rain that isn't coming and the crops that won't grow and the fertility of the animals that are suffering and none of it's happening because they are false gods. <coughs> Excuse me. The reality was that they were on a one-way road to God's corrective discipline. Hosea chapter 5 verse 14 says, I will carry away and there will be none to deliver. When God takes charge, when God deals, when God acts, there is none to deliver. Hosea chapter 9 verse 3 They will not remain in the land but Ephraim that Ephraim was the major tribe of the ten tribes and oftentimes God would use the name Ephraim in place of Israel. And so but Ephraim will return to Egypt, return to captivity only this time it'll be Assyria. And in Assyria they will eat unclean food. 
in their own land they could do what they like and eat what they like and go where they like they were completely free to live as they pleased but when they were taken captive by Assyria they were then under the oppressive dominion of that nation and chapter 9 verse 17 they will be wanderers among the nations we're all familiar with Judah being taken captive by the Babylonians and when they were taken into captivity their, their prophet Isaiah was given the promise that after 70 years he would bring them back and he kept his promise you can see it in the scriptures if you go and, and consult in the scriptures you you see that in the books of Ezra and Nehemiah when they came back into the promised land 70 years two groups each of them 70 years after they'd gone up they came back God made a promise and he kept his promise but God also made a different sort of a promise concerning the ten tribes. They will be wanderers among the nations. There will be no bringing back the way Judah had been brought back. They had gone into captivity and in captivity they would stay. So this group of people that had been so blessed by God and are now banished from him. So I ask the question, was God justified in banishing them? Were they just weak sinners and they needed a break? Should he have been more patient with them? Had he should he perhaps have shown them more grace? There would be people probably who would call God harsh for what is recorded here. But let's hear some of the indictments that has, that God brings <coughs> against his people through his prophet Hosea. Chapter 4, verse 12. They have played the harlot, departing from their God. And in verse 17 of the same chapter, Ephraim, Israel, is joined to idols. Chapter 5, verse 7. They have dealt treacherously against the Lord. Chapter 7, verse 8. Ephraim is a cake not turned. A quaint expression. It means it's burnt on one side and uncooked on the other. It's no use to God and it's no use to man. Israel, God's people, were supposed to be his witness to the world and they were no use to him and they were no use to the world. 
verse 11 of chapter 7. Ephraim is a silly dove without a mind. Simple, easily deceived. No one else. Chapter 7, verse 13. This is God speaking. I would redeem them. I would redeem them. But they speak lies against me. And in verse 15, they devise evil against me. Not just lies, but they devise evil against me. They set their hearts against God in an evil way. Chapter 8, verse 3, Israel has rejected the good. The enemy will pursue him. When God was faith, when Israel was faithful in the days of David, they, their major oppressive nation was the Philistines, and under under David's rule, they dealt with the Philistines. But here, these ten tribes cannot resist Assyria. They have an enemy, and that enemy will pursue them. Chapter 8, verse 4. With their silver and gold, they have made idols for themselves. Deuteronomy 27. Go back to the law of Moses again for a minute. Deuteronomy 27, verse 15. Cursed is the man who makes an idol or a molten image, an abomination to the Lord. Anything which is which replaces God is an abomination to him. Not only were the, these two um, golden calves at each end of the country, but the people had little miniature molden, golden calves made for themselves, which they kept in their houses, and they worshipped them and they even kissed them. And we need to be careful that we're not kissing any image that is supposed to replace our God the way that some do. So, what does this mean for us? Our God is a judge. And every single human being will ultimately stand before him. Psalm, 20, Psalm 77 verse 13 says, Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God. We have a great God. We have a loving God. We have a caring God. And we should be faithful to him. Psalm 9 verses 7 and 8. But the Lord sits as king forever. He has established his throne for judgment. He has a throne and he will judge. And he will judge the world in righteousness it will be a righteous judgment. He will execute judgment for the peoples fairly. He will be fair in his judgment. 
there are people who claim God claim that God is unfair. I think it was Woody Allen, the um, film actor and, and um, producer, who said, if there's a God, he better have an excuse. Well, I tell you, it's Woody Allen that needs the excuse. Because he's going to stand before a righteous and holy God who will judge fairly. And he will need to answer for his actions and his attitude. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28-29, haven't quite got to that yet, but um, it will be dealt with thoroughly in due course. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable, an acceptable service with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Our God is a consuming fire. He's not a benign Father Christmas with a touch of Alzheimer's who can be persuaded and bullied and shouted at to get him to do what we want him to do. Way back, right back at the beginning of the scriptures in, in Genesis chapter 6, just before Noah's flood, we read this. Genesis 6, 5 and 6. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that in every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had man, made man on the earth and he was grieved in his heart. The God of heaven, the creator of all things, the creator of mankind was grieved in his heart. When man sins, it grieves the heart of God. God isn't an angry tyrant. He's a loving father and he's grieving over the sin of his people. But he longs to bless if only they would turn to him. So the choice is ours. We can follow him, we can be faithful to him, we can love him and serve him and he will bless us. Or we can turn away from him and go our own way and do our own thing and shun his word and his ways. But if we do, be assured of this, that we will face him as judge and we will have to answer for our actions and our attitudes. The choice is ours. Pray God we choose the right one.